You're listening to These Interesting Times, Surviving 2020 in the Quad Cities, a literary anthology edited by Misty Urban and published by the Midwest Writing Center Press in Rock Island, Illinois. My name is Sarah Stevens, and I am the author of Eclipsed, a piece included in These Interesting Times anthology. I've always had a thing for the sky. As a child, it was not uncommon to find me lying flat on my back in my front yard, mind wandering along the constellations dotting the nighttime sky, while my friends ran all around me frantically collecting fireflies. On family vacations, or really any random Tuesday in my hometown during the fall, I can still be found chasing a sunset, enamored by the way the light casts colors I never knew existed. And I will still slow my steps every single time the moon bathes me in her light, cooled somehow by the way she reflects the sun. Like I said, I've always had a thing for the sky, which makes the following disclosure an unexpected anomaly in an otherwise predictable personal life story. In my 42 years of life, I've never seen a solar eclipse, in spite of the fact that I've tried many times. The first attempt was in 88. I was 10 years old, and I'd been given this special viewing box from a teacher. But when it was time to look up, I was paralyzed with terror. My mom had seared the warning about blindness into my brain, and I was just certain something would be wrong with the lens designed to protect my eyes. So while all my classmates oohed and odd, I stood staring at the asphalt, praying their vision would be spared, amazed by their bravery the entire time. And yes, I was an anxious child. Thanks for asking. The other time was in 2017. I had a lunch date scheduled with a new friend, so we decided to keep the lunch commitment, throw down some Indian buffet, and with bellies full of curry, witness our first solar eclipse. We sat under an open sky in a square filled with other eclipse viewers, but because we were there far before the big event, we dove into conversation to pass the time. When we finally emerged from our chat, we realized we were nearly all alone, all of our fellow gazers having abandoned the square where we'd sat. There was one straggler left, so we asked him when the eclipse was supposed to take place, thinking maybe we had just misjudged the timing. Clearly dumbfounded by my question, he replied, the eclipse eclipse happened an hour ago. You were out here the entire time, talking. That's right, we missed it. The great American eclipse of 2017 was, dare I say, eclipsed by some sort of immersive banter, the topic of which neither of us can remember to this day. Que sera, sera, I suppose. But these near misses have only stoked my desire to lay eyes or reflected gaze on this celestial event at some point in my life. Sure, I've seen the pictures, and they are just stunning beyond comparison. But as someone who has ever snapped a photo of a full moon knows, a photo will never do justice to a sight intended to be taken in by the real-life experience of seeing. And so seeing is the only viable solution for me, because I've spent my whole life wanting to be one of those people. The people who describe the slow passing of light into darkness. The people who are changed by that short window of totality. The people who will risk life and limb to catch just one more glimpse of the sun's corona as it glimmers from behind the moon. That's right, I said it, corona. As it turns out, the sun's got a special little rona of its own, and it's supposed to be pretty spectacular. Described as the sun's atmosphere, the corona is made up of extremely hot, extremely delicate plasma that can only be seen once the light of the sun is obscured by some other object. In the case of an eclipse, the mass responsible for accomplishing this feat is the moon. Now this is a pretty basic fact, really, and one would think a sky-obsessed weirdo like me would have long been privy to, but I wasn't. I had no idea this luminous envelope surrounded the sun, This luminous envelope surrounding the sun bore the same name as the deadly virus that swept the globe in 2020. 
until I went digging for a little eclipse-related info earlier this year. It all started circa day 10 of post-lockdown life. I had ventured to the store for my weekly anxiety attack slash grocery trip. Still a quarantine shopping novice, I had asked the kids to make a list, believing I could actually buy all of the things on set list. It didn't take me long to realize that their unrefined teenage palettes were going to sustain a blow because the shelves were bare. Well, not exactly bare, but close. There was still ramen, but only the beef-flavored kind. The Takis were plentifully stocked. It says something about the Takis, if you ask me. But the Nutty Bars and the Mountain Dew were in short supply. Sugar cereal had been whittled down to the generic kind of cookie crisp and honey smacks. I mean, would that have even counted if I had brought it home? And then finally, the bagels. The poor, sad situation with the bagels. My daughter had specifically asked for everything bagels, and as I turned the corner into the bread aisle, I realized she would have just asked me for a pony because the pony would have been a more likely find. There was nary a bagel in sight. Not even a stray sleeve of a reject bagel flavor like French toast or something equally abhorrent. And not only that, there was no bread anywhere, save for a fully stocked shelf of Sara Lee sandwich thins which says something about the sandwich thins. And as I looked at the empty shelves in front of me, I began to feel a realization playing at the edges of my existential crisis. When faced with uncertainty and considering survival, I realized that the human body knows two things. Number one, get toilet paper, and number two, eat carbs. The toilet paper made sense, what with the requirement of avoiding toxins from our bodies and all, but the bread, well, the bread was a different story. Somehow the need for both the nutrients and the blissed-out neurotransmitters released in response to carb consumption had eclipsed our collective terror about the quarantine 15. And in response, we emptied the aisles of every last crumb, which was in itself a bit of a modern-day miracle because I've been writing about women, food, and our bodies for years now. And if there's one topic that gets female folks heated, it's the great carb debate. Women will cut friend or foe for the last loaf of keto bread, we will believe with absolute certainty the absurd notion that the slim body we've sought is waiting for us on the other side of an untouched slice of sourdough. We will sell our very souls before we will sink into a side of spaghetti. In short, we have issues about carbs and these issues run deep. So to see the bread aisle in such a state led me to rightly assume I must be in the middle of some sort of situation because from my vantage point, I was surrounded by evidence that even the diet culture-driven indoctrination about the danger of white bread could be blocked out by a global pandemic. Which then led me to wonder, if carbs could make a comeback under these shadowy circumstances, what else might we be able to see given the current state? Were there other realities in the world that would become visible once the blinding light of our ordinary lives had been blocked out by the solid mass of this virus? The answer was yes, over and over, yes, in varied and painful ways, yes. From that day in the store forward, I frequently saw the world through this lens. When the truths of our existence would obscure what little light we had remaining, I would wait, allowing my eyes to adjust so I could make out what emerged from the shadows, hoping to see through the darkness. But most of the time, all I saw was more darkness. In the gross inequities of access to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, in the unapologetic murder of black people, in the absurd being accepted as fact, in the lengths to which people will go to protect a dangerous and dying ideology, all of it dark, like black of night, no hint of light, running into furniture and banging up your shins kind of dark. 
And as much as I wanted to look away, I couldn't because the same scene unfurled before me, regardless of which direction I turned. So I stayed, waiting for some sliver of light to emerge, staring out into the darkness. And from time to time, I did find a flicker or two, like fireflies dotting the nighttime sky or an impromptu show of fireworks on the horizon. The light often came in bursts and dissipated as quickly as it had appeared. Like when I witnessed the sacrifice of saviors on the front lines or the protests or the people who pivoted their existence toward the common good, all of it light. But I would have missed it if I had not been staring straight into the dark. So I needed both to appreciate either, which in short, became the single clearest gift of 2020 for this sky-obsessed weirdo. I can't tell you how many times I've looked out at the horizon and longed for the sun to linger there forever. I have wished for a sky full of stars that never dimmed. I don't know how to stop wishing that light could be light without so much darkness. But I also know that light is light because of the darkness. And so I'm grateful to have lived through a year that taught my eyes to adjust. I've been changed by what I saw, and I remain hopeful that the first step toward healing begins with our ability to see. Thank you for listening to These Interesting Times. This audio presentation is made possible by a partnership between WVIK, Quad Cities NPR, and the Midwest Writing Center in Rock Island, Illinois. Support for this project comes from the Illinois State Library. <laughs>